So what makes Ankur Capital one of the best place for deep science startups? The answer to the question is that I think we have a team and we have a network of people, you know, actually come from a deep technical background, but in addition to that have also gone through commercialization of the technologies and the challenges and the issues that come up as you bring the solutions to market. So I think what Ankur brings to the table is the experience of having done that before and so being able to help the guide and aid a startup both internally as well as externally from their networks of technology folks who have brought products to market. Hi everyone, I am Pranojit and welcome to another episode of Deep Tech Musings podcast. a show where my goal is to get actionable and tactical insights to take your deep tech startup from 0 to 1 i'm thrilled to have with me today ritu who in many ways is changing the game in the world of deep tech investments she is the co-founder and managing partner at ankur capital an early stage venture capital firm founded in 2014 that invests in digital and deep science technology companies ritu great to have you here today how are you doing I'm doing great from and Chetan very excited to be here and um, you know speaking to a community that finds deep tech passionate so uh, thank you for having me Awesome so we are going to talk a lot about deep tech and the deep science technologies vertical that you initiated at Ankur Capital I want to start our discussion with the founding story of the same can you uh, tell us more about your motivation towards initiation of this deep science technologies vertical at uh, Ankur Capital Yeah thank you um so uh, project we are a, actually in a uh, venture capital firm we invest in early stage companies and over the last 5 years or so uh, a couple of companies uh, came by our way and actually made in, uh, into our portfolio and they were very deep science companies uh and uh, that sort of uh, opened us up to start thinking about that a bit more and about a year year and a half back you know we launched an initiative called Dex Sprouts and the idea there was to engage more deeply with the deep science community entrepreneurs um you know help develop an ecosystem that is conducive for more deep science startups to be coming out of india so that that really is the crux of the story i myself actually am originally used to be a scientist out of phd in physics so very excited to see some of these science startups emerging and building out of india got it in fact tech sprouts is a very uh, knowledge rich source of uh, repository that i found around the deep science uh, aspects information and everything so i definitely encourage uh, everyone to check that out i'll put the links in the show notes so i the next aspect i want to uh, discuss is how do you define a uh, deep science to begin with yes it, uh, that's a very good question um and i'm going to put my investor lens on because you know if somebody told right. me there's deep science i would be like what what is that <laughs> so <laughs> exactly. uh, uh so really for us uh what that means is that uh you know um uh, there is an innovation out there uh you know there's that that has been um you know somebody has come up with there is a strong uh, ip moat around the invention and the innovation 
that uh, uh, can be protect the technology as it grows commercially, um, and that you know the, the the innovation, the invention is addressing a large pain point or a gap in the world. Yeah. So that is roughly how we define the deep science companies. Um, and they're different from, you know, a regular digital company of which there are lots of startups because they have a very different journey. And so upfront for us to have this visibility in terms of the, the, the you know, the USP of the invention of the innovation is important. And that, that, that forms our definition. Okay. And what are the kind of technologies that you typically see those innovations in? Yeah, very we've seen a broad range from synthetic biology to battery chemistry to, you know, bioinformatics. So there, there is a wide range of materials. We don't want to invest in, um, you know, therapeutics, but we do see a lot of that as well. Got it. So uh, many people also, uh, when we talk about deep tech, uh, look at uh, some advancements in AI and maybe IoT, crypto as well. So are you also considering those as uh, in your purview of deep science technologies or that is something that you consciously keep out? Yeah, so that's why we kind of added this word science because we realized that a lot of uh, deep tech you know, is also talking about, you know, some of the areas that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. It's not that we won't look at the areas. I think our definition is that, you know, what is the IP uh, that is, that that presents itself. I mean, there is science and AI, there is science and in any of those, uh, you know, robots, etc. It, it is more about uh, the intellectual property mode that can be built around some of these innovations. And that's the definition. Got it. So can you highlight few of the portfolio startups that you have invested in? Uh, what are the IPs that uh, they're having? What are the problems they are solving? Yeah, I think a bunch of, you know, these companies, I think, in our portfolio at this point of time. So okay. for example, um, you know, we're invested in um, a synthetic biology company called String Bio, right? And String, you know, uses waste gases like methane and, um, you know, uh, microbes to convert that into proteins. So their mm. uh, their products are useful for feed, they're useful for food, they're useful for agriculture and, you know, specialty materials as well. So the crux of it is the process and the and the and the, the biological systems that can convert methane into these proteins, and that is the that's the IP that the company okay. works with. There's another company that we're invested in, which is uh, again a synthetic biology company, and what they've done is they've looked at how enzymes work in cancer cells. And they've been able to re-engineer the multiple different enzymes and, or, and reduce the number of enzymes and create the, their own enzyme mix here that allows you to do diagnostics, um, either bacterial or viral, and they can tune into whichever bacterial or viral that you want to detect. And now that we're all familiar with RT-PCR, 
uh, you know, right. come up with sensitivities of the, around that, right? So again, the IP and the boat is around this enzyme that they've developed and the potential to do more of those. That, uh, you know, that solves the problem of, you know, point of care detection with the accuracy of lab tests. Yeah. Sound good. This is yeah. quite unique as you are uh, detailing them out. Can you highlight a few more? Yep. So, for example, they've also invested in a uh, battery chemistry company uh, and they work with zinc. Uh, and so it's a zinc gel. So there are lots of advantages to zinc gel where um, one is the technical parameters that make it good for storage or for fast charging a EV battery. Uh, at the same time, it's abundantly available and it also comes in a gel form, so it's fairly, you know, fairly robust here. So again, you know, it is, uh, the IP is around the chemistry here uh, that allows these uh, features, which obviously are important things in the market, to, to be delivered. Um, we're interested, we invested in a... Um, in a breast cancer detection company, and um, they actually are an AI company, and they work with thermal images, allowing them to detect breast cancer very early in all sorts of different kinds of tissue, uh, with similar accuracy levels as mammography, but a huge benefit of you know lower cost, being non-touch, non-radiation. All of those things are benefits for the customer, and not to mention that, you know, cheaper to be able to deliver to the patient and more comfortable. So again, a lot of IP around the AI algorithms that allow for uh, detection of tumors. So um, here, these are some examples of the companies that, you know, we've awesome. taken advantage. That's really a unique set of uh, startups and it's one thing to invest in them and I think it's another thing to have such a unique group being attracted towards an uh, investor or a VC outfit as well. So what makes Ankur Capital one of the best place for such deep science startups? Mm, thank you for the question, Project. And I think for <laughs> the answer to the question is that I think uh, we have a team and we have a network of people who... Um, you know, actually come from a deep technical background, but in addition to that, have also gone through commercialization of the technologies and the challenges and the issues that come up as you as you as you bring the solutions to market. So I think what Angkor brings to the table is the experience of having done that before, and so being able to help the guide and you know uh, aid a startup both internally as well as externally from their networks of, you know, technology folks who built, um, you know, have brought products to market. Right. And for someone just starting out in this space, I, that's a yeah. very uh, deep uh, value proposition to have like a kickstart, like a fuel to your growth uh, in the early days uh, with such technical folks around. Yep, I, I think that it is. You know, I think it's important to work uh, because you know most people who start such companies are coming from a scientific background, you know, mm -hmm. for the innovations that they've done, and they don't typically have, you know, they haven't been through a commercialization journey. So to understand what's in front and what it takes to take something from lab to market um, is, a, is 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 in our opinion uh, definitely a very important component. 
Yeah, a very strong point indeed. So next, I want to get your viewpoints on uh, some tactical advice from founders who are listening uh, to this episode. So, what would be your advice to the entrepreneurs uh, who are looking to take their startup from zero to one in the deep science uh, domain? What would mm-hmm. be the top three things they should consider, or some mistakes to avoid from your experience that you have gained across in this industry? Yeah, so I think one thing that comes out as important in this space vis-a-vis the other entrepreneurs that sort of exist, you know, it takes a long time to do research and come up with a product, right? Basically, so um, you know, the the if you want to turn this into a financial, commercially viable venture and bring that market, the product to market, I think it's important to assess that the solution, it's a long journey, right? So it's important to address that the solution changes the status quo dramatically, not just a tiny bit, because it's very hard to get people to change, you know, their existing way of working. So there has to be a pretty big pain point that it is addressing or there's no solution there or, you know, uh, you, you need to think about that. Um, and the second, so it's important that you talk to people who can be potential users of this technology to get that feedback early on because otherwise, you know, it's a long journey. It's not like, you know, I made a red-colored app today and tomorrow I'll turn it blue. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. So I think that is one part of it. I think the other part about it is that, um, you know, things may work in the lab, but if you are keen to actually make this product in the market, uh, it is also worthwhile to think about upfront the pitfalls that may come for you to scale this up. So I'll give you an example. On the lab scale, it's very easy to buy Speciality materials or chemicals and things like that. Now, mm-hmm. if you are very dependent on those, and let's say that you know you are going to produce this, that you know at one million tons. Obviously, I'm talking about manufacturing plant, right? It is important that you design and you think about how uh, how can you do this at a million tons in a in a way that would make sense. You can't buy this from a research catalog anymore. So to give the thought that if your technology is going to be commercially there in the market, the scale at which it has to be there, the you know manufacturing it or making it would make sense. So these things are yeah. part of the design thinking that has to go in upfront. It can't be close to you having done all the research. Got it. So uh, yes, I completely here on the aspect of the long gestation periods which is very pertinent across deep tech uh, startup ecosystem what do you think are some of the ways in which uh, startup founders can de-risk that long gestation period for deep tech startups so um, there are two parts to the long gestation one I think you can't de-risk and the other one perhaps you can right so the okay. first part is the basic research part of it all. Right? The only de-risking I can think of there is that you know you tie in to get as much grant capital as you can to support that and support you through this process. Right? But I don't think there are shortcuts around the core work. I and mean, if there okay. are shortcuts, there's very little value in what you're doing because 
in the market mm. there isn't much value to that, right? So that I, I, you know, I actually don't think you can de-risk that short of trying to find capital to support you through all of this, right? And you have awesome. to be passionate enough, and usually most researchers are passionate enough about it to go through that part of it all, right? <laughs> But the second part about it is also to just think about the technology that you're working on. And there I think, uh, again, you know, it's if your technology can become more of a platform, then you have a shot at different use cases. If your technology is very, very uh, narrow, um, maybe the risks are high up. Basically, yeah. so that's one way that if you, if it is possible, and not to say that there aren't technologies that are, you know, one shot solutions haven't been amazing. So I don't want to discourage anybody, but uh, but if you are thinking about de-risking, if there is a way that you can, the technology can address multiple applications, then that just gives you that many more chances of actually getting it adopted in the market. Got it, and so. Yeah. Following through that idea, in a way, we are, so we should target also maybe a problem space which is large enough so that you can pivot around within it from uh, say one tech to another or one idea to another, right? I think that one idea to the other is a difficult problem in this scenario. One application mm -hmm. to another application is what I would yeah. say, right? The idea is well, is back to the lab bench then. It's the issue. Agreed. Got it. Uh, I also want to uh, just uh, have your thoughts on the last uh, thing that you mentioned around scalability. How do yeah. you assess uh, scalability uh, early on? What are some of the aspects that startup founders can uh, look into? Yeah, it's a good question. And we actually spend a bunch of time trying to figure that piece out, right? So uh -huh. ultimately, there's a solution that is targeted to the market. And, you know, we have a view or we talk to the market and get a view of at what price point would this solution be acceptable. Let me just take a battery, right? I mean, I'm sure you can produce a battery then is, you know, $10,000 for a kilowatt hour or whatever. But, you know, the market is not going to pay for that. So at the lab scale, then still might be numbers that you're working with. But if, if if an investor is to make an investment, they need this has to serve a very large market. So they will look at the fact as to whether that price can come to a point that the market will adopt it. So the 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 journey from what you are at at a very minuscule scale to the what you would be at large scale, what does that require? So, for example, if you're making some esoteric battery and you tell me you need some, you know, beyond mineral or something like that, that means you will need to go, you know, the or the volume of those minerals being produced is not enough to meet the volume of the demand. It would mean you need to go discover some mines. That's obviously very difficult, right? But in, if it is just something that is being used normally somewhere else, you have a rough idea as to what the price is per ton or price, whatever. So then you have some, then you know you could kind of figure out what the benchmarks would be and whether you're close to what is necessary for the market to buy. And yes, of course, you may still have to work on it, but you'll get closer. So that part of it is how we take a look at the scale up, right? 
We also look at saying, you know, what does it take to, and again, I'm talking about a bit more things that go into manufacturing, is less relevant of the AI type kind of companies. But uh-huh. um, then, you know, do you have to discover manufacturing from zero? There are other allied industries that have done this for a while, and you could, you know, pull in some of the engineering needs, et cetera, from there to create what you do. So this, these are the kind of things that we would evaluate to figure out whether the commercialization and the techno-commercial journey is something that is feasible. Okay, so the experience of having uh, done it before and having that technical know-how to figure it out, I think that really helps here to assess. Yeah. And uh, yeah. that's one of the value propositions that Ankur also brings. So on the uh, aspect of uh, user research, uh, I want to understand your views. Do you see uh, many deep tech uh, companies engaging in users' research? Because many of them are researcher-led, and researchers are by inherent nature more towards on the lab, and they want to <laughs> just stick to the experiments, uh, right? Uh, so w- what's your view on that? How do you see that in the industry? I, think I see that as a problem. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so because uh, ultimately, so, uh, you know, I, I know I have lots of friends who are researchers, and it's okay to be a researcher, basically, yeah. right? And, and that you have to decide what you want to do, right? So I'm not saying that you would change your research skills, but I think you need to bring in the business or the market uh-huh. or the customer skills, right? To test whether what you have works or doesn't work, right? Because the nobody's coming to buy your innovation. They are coming to buy a solution to their problem. So uh, you've got to understand whether your innovation is a solution to their problem or what you need to tweak to make it a solution for that problem. But if you don't do that, then I think um, then all bets are off. So (laughs) this is a fundamental piece here. That Um, can be a story, Pranajit, okay? Yeah, sure. Because I have been in this bucket. Yeah, (laughs) so I was a researcher and I thought I'd develop the best things in sliced bread. Uh, And I worked for a company that was nice enough to tell me, okay, fine. Looks interesting. Why don't you come and help make it happen? Which included figure out whether you can manufacture it, figure out how much it will cost, all that good stuff. And also then go figure out whether the customer likes it. Yeah. So the right. first, uh, and they did a lot of customer consumer testing. And so they were very nice and said, go oh, sit in the custom thing, take your product out there and go and ask the people whether they buy it. I sat in a room with like five, not five, 15 ladies and they told me it was horrible. There was no way they were going to buy one I had made, right? So that was a little jarring, right? Because of course right. you thought you'd done all this work, you would, you know, you'd solve the problem statement that you had been given, right? So I was like, "What's wrong?" But you said you wanted this, and then they pointed out thirty other problems. Okay, this doesn't, this is not how I like it. This doesn't smell good. All we all sorts of things. Like none of them, which had been the problem statement to start with, right? But so. When you go through those journeys, when you go through sort of actually on the customer side, you realize that there's a lot more to it, right? And that if you don't do the lot more, if you're passionate about your innovations, you have to address the customer's problems. If you don't address the customer's problems, um, your innovation is not going to make it in the market. So um, my thing to most researchers and most innovators are that if you're that passionate about what you've made, you need to put in the other pieces and adapt that to what the customer wants for it for this to be really valuable in the market. 
Well, love that story and thanks for sharing it. I think this is a pivotal point wherein many people actually falter uh, in this space and uh, I think and, and, and let me tell you, it's a, it's not nice, right? I mean, the game spent yeah. so much time. This is your life, right? In many ways, right. right? And I still remember that woman who said, oh, what rubbish is this? Why are you giving it to me? Like, you know, I mean, like literally, right? So you're, it, it is a, it is a, uh, you know, it is a jarring situation, but it yes. is the reality that you have to accept. Yeah. So uh, one thing I tell uh, a few of my uh, startup friends is uh, in such season is uh, go find a founder, co-founder who is not a researcher. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And let him then take care the, of all the Absolutely. Things. Right? Somebody that you can be that thing. That's just what I said earlier. I don't yeah. think the researcher needs to change their skills. Yes. They need to recognize that there are other things necessary and they need to find the co-founder or the team member to bring those skills in. Very strong point. Great. I want to uh, come back on one of the aspects we touched upon early in on a conversation around moats. Now, uh, you mentioned uh, the startups having IP around some of their intellectual uh, uh, properties and all. So what are your views on how to build those uh, IPs or moat in uh, deep science uh, products? So typically in deep science products, right? I mean, typically the researcher is talking about an innovation that they have made, right? Mm -hmm. So it is typically differentiated, right? It is it is much easier to talk about the differentiation in these type of products than it is like in a software product, right? Because at the right. end of the day, those are much more copyable, right? In many ways, yeah. The long gestation is also in the mode. In some respect is what you done. But the uh, thing that I will caution against is that just because you have IP doesn't mean you have a moat, right? Because IP, I, I, I like to think about IP as, um, you know, again, there are exceptions. There are single patterns that have protected companies for centuries or hundreds of years, right? But typically, um, IP needs to be defensible just because if you have a patent that doesn't make it defensible. Right. And 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 the, the thing that I was taught here on this whole piece was that look, if somebody were to go encroach on your IP in the market, you are a successful company, how would you know? If you cannot tell, then your IP is not very defensible. Right? There should be a simple way in which you can tell, you know, and some IPs are easier, others are harder. So typically people look at a suite of IPs to protect their innovation. So it's like a building a castle with, uh, you know, saying I, I, I'm going to build many walls around this so that you can't get in from this side, you can't dig under, all that kind of stuff. So that's one thing. It's also geographic protection so that you have, you know, uh, in some other country doesn't come along and sort of do it. So I think IP is actually a fairly complex topic. And yep. it does depend. And sometimes you just don't do IP around what your core innovation is. What you do is a ring fencing around it, but you don't disclose the core, right? So IP is a full-fledged topic in itself that we can go on for hours. So uh, my thing to entrepreneurs is that you need to think about how that mode gets built. Please use help, talk, sounding boards, etc. One patent or in, he's not enough. Right? It's it's how you think about the protection. I think the very idea of ring fencing to protect a core is a very valuable action, actionable <laughs> advice uh, that I 
the listeners would take away and definitely something to think more thanks for that let now gets a bit forward thinking i want to uh, learn more about some future initiatives that are being planned at anku capital especially in the deep science uh, space yeah i mean uh, we're going to continue texpats is going to continue with activities you know we hope to also be holding a bunch of sessions with entrepreneurs so for example i just said ip is an atomic maybe we get some experts along to sort of talk about some of these areas so there's a learning and you know uh, you know entrepreneurs who kind of gone through the uh, their journeys and their experiences that are a little further along that can help entrepreneurs out there so these are some of the things that we have in the pipeline to help kind of you know promote and build the ecosystem for entrepreneurs in this space got it and what are some of the future opportunities in deep science domain that you wish a startup would capitalize on oh lots pranajeet i mean there are so many problems you know we have all this climate problem we have a lot of things we improve health lots of challenges right so we are excited you know one of the areas that i'm excited about is sort of the intersection of biology uh computational advances that have been made maybe some engineering principles right and i think there's a lot mm-hmm. to be done in that area to address various things right from food to uh you know health to maybe even energy right so so i think um you know i i i mean there are a lot of uh you know there's a lot of computational advances here that can just help us redesign and rethink uh how perhaps some traditional um processes or systems have worked um you know um there's a lot of uh you know crispr type things that are happening globally which also offer a potential on how we can attack various problems um material innovation so it's a pretty wide swath of stuff but as a tanker we're interested in energy we're interested in food and agriculture and we're interested in health so in these areas you know again diagnostics uh simplifying diagnostics especially for markets like india where you know fancy labs etc are all nice but to get to the larger population it needs to be different you know that's again an interesting area got it so lastly uh, who are some of the thought leaders in this domain apart from you that listeners can uh, perhaps follow and maybe we should have on this show next and how can listeners of this uh, podcast be useful to you and ankur capital hmm. so abib uh, you know we 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 uh, people like us can't exist we walk on <laughs> the shoulders of <laughs> other folks who do a lot of hard work and i think one organization that it really like to call out is byrack and if you know i know it's more in the bio space but okay. um you know pretty much any uh, startup entrepreneur that you turn to byrack has been a supporter uh they offer facilities they offer grants they offer multiple layers of grants to help you progress along the way um and you know i think they've done an amazing job of making this ecosystem happen i think there's more initiatives on the way in energy similar to this but yet to awesome. come but uh yeah the but there's somebody i'm give a shout out to of having done an amazing job at in building the ecosystem 
Great. Uh, look forward to having them uh, on the show sometime in the near future. Good. Sure. So, uh, Ritu, it's been amazing to have you here. And I think the kind of uh, insights and uh, actionable advice that you have given in this 30 minutes is uh, really action-packed, I would say. And I think the listeners would definitely uh, benefit a lot from it, uh, applying them in their uh, startup. So thanks again for taking out time and uh, wish a very fruitful journey for Anko Capital in the near future. Thank you, Pranji. Thanks for having me. And I hope what I said was a little useful for some entrepreneurs. Um, but a great job to you uh, for you to doing this. Thank you.